I want to make just a few comments, in some ways just to set this book up for us as we study it together. We'll be in it five weeks, so we'll make a pretty expeditious journey through uh, this letter of, of Titus and this morning, given the specialness of the occasion of the installation of new officers, we'll actually just select uh, several key truths from Titus chapter 1 to meditate on. We won't be able to reflect on the entirety of the, the text this morning, given our time. But I do think it's important to know uh, the content of this letter as we enter it. Um, this protege, this, 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 this young pastor in the faith known as Titus, is the, the, the one in whom Paul addresses his letter. It's who he's sending this letter to. And he's instructing Titus as a young minister how to deploy his time and his energy and his, his resources as a, as a minister in the care of the flock. He's really guiding him in what it means to be a, a leader, a leader in the body of Christ. And the focal point of the teaching of, of Titus is really godliness. Um, Titus, I want you to lead the church in growing in godliness. That's why we've titled the, the series in just that way. Um, godliness is a word that means godlikeness. I want you to lead the church in a way that the church becomes more like the one in whom they have been created to be like, even God himself. And so not surprisingly, what Titus uh, hears from the Apostle Paul over and over are various ways in which we as the body of Christ can faithfully um, believe and follow where it is that the Lord would call us. He, he spends time looking at the church. He spends time looking at the family he spends time talking about our Christian lives and how we should be involved in the community around us. What are our social responsibilities to the community around us? He spends a lot of, te a lot of time teaching us on what is true, and distinguishing that which is what is true from what is false. We'll see that even in the note that we look at this morning from Titus chapter 1. And I want it to be on your heart to be praying for us as a congregation during this month of January and the beginning of the month of February as we always renew our vision as a congregation. It's part of what we seek to do, to remind ourselves of what it is the Lord has called us to be. And Titus is going to help us do that. He's going to help remind us of who it is that we are as the body of Christ and what the Lord has called us to be. And so I want that to be on your heart as we approach this text from Titus 1 this morning. Let's look now at Titus chapter 1. We'll pick up the reading in verse 1 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in His Word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. 
This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's stewards must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commandments of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, as we spend now a time in your word reflecting upon the teaching of Titus chapter 1, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit come and move both in our midst as a congregation and in each of our hearts individually for our own growth in godliness as a congregation and always for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've probably noticed that Authority and responsibility related to authority, sometimes what we call leadership, is everywhere. Whether we're talking about politics or the state, whether we are looking at an organizational chart of our business, whether we're looking inside the four walls of our home and considering the roles of husband and, and wife and, and children, or whether, as we're doing today, talking about the church, the family of God, everywhere that you look, there is authority and there is the exercise of authority, what we call leadership. You've been under leadership this morning as I was reflecting with the, uh, the early service. We don't think of it in this way, but I think it's helpful because of our themes today. You've been under all kinds of leadership this morning, you know, when you, when you backed the car out of the garage this morning, back down the street, and you stopped at a stop sign. I hope you stopped at the stop sign, and 
You didn't do one of those rolling stops, you know what I mean. But you, you stopped at the stop sign, and you stayed between the lines on your way here, and you, you parked in downtown Franklin, uh, in that, the parallel parking here. Um, you parked between the marks, right? You parked between the marks. You didn't take up two, two spots. All of that is an exercise of, of authority, right? Someone did all that, like roads and lights and lines and stuff, and you, well, you submitted to it. I hope you did, as you made your way to church this morning. This, this building is a sign of authority and leadership, you see. I mean, there was an architect, and there was a, was a contractor, and they, they put this building uh, together. They led it. They led a team to make it happen. They organized the space that we're in so that there's a platform uh, up here, and there's, there's pews, and they're facing a certain direction so that we have a variety of roles that are displayed in this, this room comfortably. The worship service, if you've noticed it, we call it the order of, of worship. Someone, someone wrote that order of, of worship. Someone put it together. Someone exercised authority, leadership in the midst of doing so. And when they did, they were thinking about particular truths that we're going to um, make our way through over the course of the service and themes that are tied to Titus chapter, chapter 1 so that we might have uh, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit who has been sent by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? His authority is being manifested within us and in our, in our midst here this, this morning. Leadership is everywhere. <laughs> authority is, is everywhere. But we want to ask the question, why? Well, why is it everywhere? Because some of us don't like authority. And some of us, some of us would prefer not to be under leaders. And so we ask ourselves sometimes, why is there authority? Why is there, why is there leaders? Well, we, for our purposes today, we want to answer it in this way. Uh, authority and leadership is all around us because the created order is designed to reflect its creator's authority and leadership. Let me say that again. Authority and leadership is all ar around us because the created order is designed to reflect its creator's authority and leadership. Now, there's lots of ways that we could unpack that, but I think maybe going back to the creation story would be helpful. Do you remember the creation of man and woman? In Genesis chapter 1, do you remember the language of Genesis 1, 26 to 28? Listen to it. Let us make man in our image. This is God speaking about our creation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And notice these words, and let him have dominion. Let him have a position of, of authority. Let him exercise a particular kind of leadership. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over everything that creeps on, on the earth. Now notice in that command, there's an order. There's, there's lines of, of authority, and there's an exercise of leadership that's, in, that's implied. And God is saying, isn't this interesting? God is saying, this is the way we reflect Him. Let us make man in our image. What does that mean? Let him take dominion. Oh, we, we sometimes think that, well, being in the image of God means that we are, we're rational, you know, not instinctual like the animals. We have an eternal soul. Uh, not a soul that descends to the to the earth like the, like the animals. We're we're unique in that we're worshiping uh, beings, um, and we can acknowledge and and know our God in a personal saving way. 
Uh, those are uniquenesses. No doubt we would, we, there would be some fodder that we could gain from uh, reflection upon those distinctives, but that's not the focus of Genesis 1, is it? The focus of Genesis 1 is authority and leadership, and he's built it into the fabric of, of mankind. Now, when we think of this leadership or authority, just generally speaking, we're not talking about church leadership yet, we're just talking about the way in which the world is, is ordered around authority and leadership, we have to acknowledge that every person has been, by virtue of being created in the image of God, in a position of authority. We're all in His likeness. We're all in His image. We have places and spheres in which we are called to exercise uh, leadership, uh, whether it's a, it's a mom at home with her, her children, wh- whether it's a, it's a, it's a child uh, in the context of a wonderful babysitting gig, or, or, or it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a husband who's, who's out in the, and, and operating as a, a CEO of a company, or what, whatever it is, there are varieties of spheres in which authority and leadership manifest themselves, but all of us have authority and leadership. There is no non-authoritative or non-leading human being. Some of you may be saying to yourself, well, I'm more of a follower than a leader, right? You may think of yourself in that way. I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not a leader. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a follower. And, and, and there is some truth in the statement of which you make, but you're making it in a categorically different way. What, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that you're saying to yourself, I don't really have the, the gifts of leadership. You have in your mind a personality of some kind. You have a, you have a range of gifts of, of some kind that, that's in, in mind. And you're thinking of someone who, uh, you know, loves to gather a crowd and, and people just naturally follow them. Yes, there are measures or degrees of the way authority and leadership are expressed in the world. But you have authority and leadership that you express in a degree. You influence someone. You influence something. You maybe took dominion this week when you did the laundry. When you repotted that, that plant. When you washed the, the dishes. You know, when, you, when you created a, a chart to, to keep up with feeding the dog and helping your kids learn how to feed the dog. That was authority. That was, that was leadership. It's not, it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's It's good. It, we, authority must be good, and leadership must be good in its essence because God is an authority and He's a leader. And He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And that being said, when we think of authority in our own day and time, specifically in the 21st century North American context in which we reflect on authority, we don't think happy thoughts, do we? immediately jump to mind, though many of us long and aspire sometimes to be in positions of authority. We like to tell people what to do. That's the reason why in some cases, like we see ourselves as a leader, we want to rise up to be a leader. It's like, I love telling people what to do. Uh, Though we we aspire to in some ways, when we we have to be under a leader or under leadership, we, we, oh, that doesn't sound good at all. We we recoil often at that that point, And, and sometimes for good reason. Sometimes not for good reason, but sometimes for good reason. Because we have seen how sinfully 
expressed leadership can be in the broken and fallen world that we're in. A leadership that is overbearing and, and oppressive. A leadership that's irresponsible and, and neglectful. A leadership that is, that is looking out for themselves and not for those in whom they've been called to care for or lead. Right? You've experienced this. You've been in a, a job situation where that was the case. Or, uh, God forbid, maybe you've been in a family where there was abusive behavior with regards to authority. Maybe you've had church hurt along those very lines. Ungodly and, and unfaithful shepherds. You see, Titus is addressing that, actually. The, the long section in verses 10 all the way to the end of the chapter is, is about this, this group that, that Titus is going to need to address in Crete, where he has been called to be the minister, the pastor. That Greek island in the Mediterranean, he is, he's there and he is working with this nascent, uh, young, newly birthed church. He's been directed by the Apostle Paul to serve there. And one of the very quick injunctions that the Apostle Paul gives him here in chapter 1, is you're going to have to silence the deceivers. What he refers to here is the insubordinate. Now notice, they're unwilling to submit to the rightful authority. They're deceivers and empty talkers. Now we won't get into all of what this group is. He says, especially those, so there's a particular group he's looking at, but especially those of the circumcision party. I know that sounds very exciting to be a part of the circumcision party, but this apparently is the group that's uh, causing some trouble here. I just want you to see that this, this passage is laden with realities of, of authority and the struggles in the church at Crete actually have to do uh, specifically with that. Now, with that being the case, however, I want you to see, and I think this is important to register this, bad leadership it doesn't mean that leadership is bad. Bad leadership doesn't mean that leadership is bad. The Bible's answer to bad leadership is good leadership. <laughs> the Bible's answer to, to bad authority, executed poorly, sinfully, is is good authority executed faithfully according to the Word of God under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And, and as we are today installing two new elders as a congregation into our midst, it's important, it's essential actually, that we take time to remember what is godly leadership. Now again, we won't be able to look at everything in this text. We'll, we'll be able to revisit some themes throughout Titus as we move along in, in this series. But I did want to extract from this text specifically today... Four particular distinguishing marks of godly leadership in the church. Four marks of godly leadership in uh, the church. And these spread beyond the confines of the church, but, but definitely are spoken of here with regards to leadership in the church. And here are those four qualities. It's accountable, number one. It's an accountable uh, leadership. Uh, number two, it's ambassadorial. It's ambassadorial. You you leaders are serving in the name of someone, under the authority of someone. It's it's thirdly above reproach. It's above reproach. We'll talk about what that means. And then fourthly, it's all for the sake of the people of God. It's all for the sake of the people. Of God. It's accountable, 
It's ambassadorial. It's above reproach. And it's all for the sake of the people of God. Now, I want to combine, for sake of time this morning, I want to combine accountable and ambassadorial. I think they're, they're really two sides of the same coin, help you understand what I mean by those those terms. And, and I'm going to give you three patterns that, that are here in the text, the, a pattern with Paul, a pattern with Titus, and a pattern with the elders that he's raising up with in Crete so that you can see this accountable and ambassadorial dynamic that's at the heart of Christian uh, leadership in the church. Just notice the way Paul describes himself in verse 1. Paul, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ or of God. Now notice this language of servant denotes humility. It denotes being underneath a, a master. In fact, the, the word here is doulos. It means bondservant or, or slave. This is someone who has no rights on their own. This is someone who lives at the behest of a, of a master, it lives to do their bidding. The Apostle Paul, as he writes the letter of Titus, he doesn't say, you know, I have great gifts in letter writing. I'm extremely wise, tremendous influence among these people. I will be a self-proclaimed authority to the church at Titus. No, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I write this as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't write this on my own initiative. I write this as someone who is a man under authority. He is accountable. He's accountable. But, but notice at the same time, Paul is an apostle. This is a term of tremendous authority. An apostle, those, those 12 in whom Christ chose, Paul of, of which was brought in later as we read about his conversion, his conversion in Acts chapter 9 where he is both converted and called in commission to the work of an apostle who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul here is, is, is literally, language of, the, uh, of apostle, he's a representative, an authoritative representative of Jesus Christ. He's an ambassador. When, when he speaks, like when he speaks here in the letter of Titus, we're not just hearing Paul's musings. We're not just going, oh, that's, that's helpful. This is sort of like, it's similar to the podcast I listened to or the article I read on the Gospel Coalition or, or whatever. It's similar to that. No, no, this is God's Word. This is a man who is speaking God's Word. He speaks with the authority and the gravity of Jesus Christ Himself. This is the apostles' teaching. It's inscripturated. It's tremendous authority. So he's a servant who's under authority, and he's an apostle who is enacting authority. At the same time, both of those things are, are true. Now notice a similar pattern with Titus. Titus here is described there in verse 4 as the true child of the apostle Paul in common faith. Now if Titus is a child, might it be true that Paul is a father? Might it also indicate not just succession, but, but authority? Well, I think so, because notice the language of, of verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. Seems as if the Apostle Paul's in charge of where Titus is. And notice not only is his location essential to the authority of the Apostle Paul, but notice what he called him to do, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He is a man under authority. Titus is under Paul's authority as the authorized representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle. And yet, do you notice in the text that Titus is exercising authority? 
He is, he is a minister in the, the church of, of Crete. Uh, notice, he was put here in order to put things into order. He has a calling. He has influence that he will be, he will be leveraging. He'll be relying upon the spirit of the, work to, the Lord to do that work. He'll be relying upon the word to do that work. But he's going to do the work, you see. He has, he has authority. He's operating under authority, and he's also in authority. Notice, notice thirdly, what's he going to do? He's going to appoint elders. That would mean if he's appointing elders, then he's over the appointment of those, those elders. So these elders are, are under the submission of, of this string of accountability that's being built into the, to the body of Christ. And yet these elders, by virtue of their office, are in authority. Notice the language they uses in verse 7 to describe the role of elders. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. What's the, well, what's the word overseer mean? Well, it means you oversee someone. <laughs> it means you are, you're watching over them. You're in authority over them. The very nature of the eldership is a watchfulness or an oversight that's there. And yet, don't you see the, the hint of humility that's put into that as if, and elders always need to hear this note of humility. Listen, listen to this. Verse 7, for I am an, for an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach. Did you catch that word? I mean, an elder is an overseer, but he's not an owner. He's not an owner. He doesn't own the church. He doesn't own the flock. The flock is not there to be able to do what it is that he wants to do with it. He's God's steward. What's a steward? Well, a steward's been entrusted with something that's not his. And, and what is a steward supposed to do? He's supposed to do the master's bidding in order to produce what the master wants in the work and calling in which he's been given. Do you, do you see the dynamic here? The dynamic, whether we're looking at Paul, we're looking at Titus, we're looking at the elders, there's this, there's this dynamic of, of authority and humility. There's this, there's this dynamic of being accountable and yet at the same time being an ambassador. Uh, truly entrusted with real authority and leadership, and yet always looking to the one and under the one who is the only head and master of the church, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the nature of an accountable and an ambassadorial ministry. Now, I could talk for some time, I won't, about the organization of the Presbyterian Church in America. I could talk about Presbyterians historically, uh, the, the goal of its polity, that is its government, its organization, is that, is that elders who are under a local group of elders known as a presbytery, and a presbytery is under a general assembly, and that general assembly uh, oversees these concentric uh, circles of accountability so that if things go wrong and things do go wrong, uh, the, the damage can be corrected and hopefully mitigated more speedily and effectively. Now, does it always work as it ought to work? No, it doesn't. It is men, after all, running the thing. But you'll often see, don't you, the work of God in the midst of that accountability stop something damaging in its path. Whereas a man on his own in a lot of power is a scary thing. But, but, but those under accountability, recognizing the ambassadorship 
that have been entrusted to them in the Lord Jesus Christ with the check and balance of those who have been entrusted with those same responsibilities around them often provides a safeguard for the church. So I want you to see this accountability, this ambassadorial role, but I want you to see, uh, thirdly, this above reproach. If you're going to have men in these kinds of roles, because these are important, significant roles, they need to be men who are above reproach, don't they? There's qualifications for them. Now, I think Titus here is receiving from the Apostle Paul kind of three spheres in which reproach, above reproach, uh, should be true of men uh, being called into the office of elder. And, and I think, you know, understanding this sort of umbrella term, you should be above reproach, it's there in ver- verse 6, literally means you should be blameless. We're going to put it, we don't use the word reproach very, very often. Um, and, and so you know, as you hear reproach, you might, I don't really know what that means, but it means to disapprove, to, for something to, to disapprove of something. And so if you have been reproached, you have been corrected, there's something you've done that's been disapproved of. In the language here that, the Paul, that Paul is using is this idea of, of blameless or, or being without, without blemish. Now you could hear that and you could say to yourself, oh, oh all you got to be is perfect to be an elder in, in the church. Well, we wouldn't have any elders if that were the case. I wouldn't be preaching if that were the case uh, this morning. Uh, that's not what the text is, is saying here. The, the word blemish is used re- regularly to describe the reality of someone who in their sphere of life and existence, especially in the categories that are given here by the Apostle Paul, a charge can't be brought against them and sustained. That as we look at this man and we look at his marriage, he's to be a husband of one wife, He's to have children who are not insubordinate, given to debauchery, but believing. He's not to be violent or, or greedy or, or a drunkard. He has self-control. He, he has a list of virtues. That, that he's, as we watch this man, as we relate to this man, as we examine this man, as we consider this man, does this man from the outside display this very real sense of blamelessness? This is part of what the Apostle Paul means when he speaks of his own testimony as he looked back to the days of his Phariseeism. And he says, as according to the law, I was blameless. Paul is not saying he was sinless. He was saying, if you were to look at me, you'd think there wasn't really much wrong. Now that is actually something you want. That's actually something you want in an elder. Now an elder will tell you very, very clearly that there's a lot going on that's wrong. He needs a lot of help. He's a work in progress. But you should, the the midst of the congregation should be, this is a man who I can follow. This is a man who I can respect. This is a man if I have a question about the spiritual life or I need wisdom or discernment, I I could go to him and and it would be something that would be beneficial and helpful. He's going to point me to the Lord. He's going to point me to the Word. There is a respectability to the nature of this man. That's what's meant in this language of, of blamelessness. And a big part of that work is, of course, as you see, marriage, family, character, and doctrine. Those are really the pieces that are put here. If you were to distill this long list down, you'd see he needs to be a man of character. He needs to be a, a man with a, with, a, with, a, with a godly marriage. He, he needs to have been able, so to speak, to raise his children in the order of the faith where there's not insubordination or debauchery. There's faith and belief here. This is the spheres of blamelessness we want to be looking at. I want you just to note that 
there's only one mention of an ability or a gift. Like, like none of those things are because they're like, oh, they have a, they have a type A personality. They, they're good with people. They like to be up front. Um, they, they, you know, they enneagram this way or that way, right? This is how we think about leadership very often, isn't it? I think it's why we get ourselves into so much trouble is we become wowed by gifts and underwhelmed by character. And I just want you to see that the Bible doesn't fall into that trap. The Bible emphasizes character. It emphasizes the trueness of the heart of the man. The only distinctive with regards to gifting and ability in the eldership, notice there in verse 9, is ability to teach, to instruct, and to rebuke. To be able to, to faithfully hold to the doctrines, the essential truths of the Christian faith, to hold them with a clear conscience, and then to be able to unfold them in such a way where they're understandable, they're instructive to the congregation, they're corrective, there's rebuke. So, so notice, as we're talking about biblical leadership here, we're talking about accountability, we're talking about ambassadorial leadership, we're talking about above reproach. And fourthly, we, we want to note this. It's all for the sake of God's people. Now, you could say to yourself, Nate, are you sure about that? Isn't it for God's glory? Well, yes, it's for God's glory. I'm in no way not saying that. But I'm actually pulling from what the emphasis is in this particular text. Uh, you know, the, the Bible gives us this wonderful collection of a variety of teachings and emphases. But what's the emphasis here? Yeah, well, notice just even Paul's own calling here. Paul, verse 1, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's why he serves. He serves for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. What a beautiful description of the call of the apostle Paul. He cares about the faith of God's people. That's the sake for why he does the things that he does. That they would grow in the true knowledge of who God is. That they would be conformed into godliness. That's the passion of, a, of an elder. That's the passion of a, of a pastor. That's the sense of their, their calling. Notice that Titus is, is being passed down that kind of legacy. No, it's not exactly like the Apostle Paul. Their spheres of authority are, are very different. Their roles are, are very different. But what's Titus supposed to do? He's supposed to put things in order. This, this language of order, I think John Stott's right. It, it literally means that this, this church has been birthed and it's growing. This vine is uh, it's taking off. But, it, but it, it needs nurture and it needs direction and it, need, it needs care. It needs a trellis. It, it needs, a, it needs a, a way in which it can be grown and shaped. You need to put this unfinished work into order. And that's a huge part of what pastors and elders should be, should be about, be thinking about the organization, the initiatives, the emphases, the executing of the vision. And that's here for, for, for Titus. And he's got to raise up a plurality of elders. It's very clear that Paul in the book of Acts, doesn't, he's not eager to move on to another church until he sees elders raised up in that church. He's not, because he knows the wolves will come in. He knows that leadership vacuums get filled. And so he wants to see godly leadership there. And he says, listen, I'm directing you to Crete because there's unfinished work there. They need elders. 
Now, is, is, as I'm walking right now through an officer training, you as a congregation nominated men to the office of, of elder back in the fall. We've been working our way, meeting on Wednesday evenings and other, other times together, reading and discussing um, office, um, discussing the gospel, discussing the ministry of the church. We're about to work through the standards of this local con- congregation, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and its catechisms together to learn about its constitution. Now, as we're having these discussions together as we're talking about the role of elder, do you find yourself going in here like, well, who is fit for these things? I want you to know every single one of those men feels that. It's only, it's only every week as I stand before you to preach where I think to myself, there's got to be better people to do this. It's always the case. Don't you in your own world? My moms and dads in here. Right? Are you walking around going, I'm amazing. If you're doing that, you've got problems, like big problems. I mean, what, what truly, what true person full of integrity who's a CEO of a company just says, I've done it all right. What are you talking about? You, you're, you're out of touch with reality if you think that. Yet leadership and authority always brings you to the end of yourself. That's its purpose, you see. That's its purpose. That's why when we're looking at authority and we're looking at leadership, we're not looking actually directly to the men. We're not even looking to to Preston or Terry or to the elders specifically. You know what we're doing? We're looking through them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't entrust ourselves to men. And we want a man who knows that as your elder. A man who knows that. We have a phrase that we constantly say here, which is elders, let's remember, deacons, let's remember, you never shepherd people to yourself, you shepherd people to Jesus. He is the only person who can take care of his church. He might be pleased to use you, but you're definitely not the answer. Don't be a stumbling block and try to draw people unto yourself. No, draw them unto Christ. Why? Because let's just wrap up here. Because Christ is the fulfillment of all godly leadership. I mean, think about it. Jesus came to earth as a man under authority. He was made like a man under authority. He submitted to the local governance. He lived a faithful and obedient life. He even had uh, that, that really testing conversation with Pontius Pilate at the end of his life. Where Pontius Pilate says, you know I have the power to, you know, destroy you basically. Can you imagine that, saying that to Jesus? Just take that in for a second. And then go watch Jesus' remarkable grace and submission through the process. He knows what it's like to be a man under authority. And to submit even to wicked authority. To the degree that he can, without unrighteousness. Well, that gives us a lot of hope. As elders... People deficient, still growing, don't have it all together. That if Jesus can display for us that kind of submission, even to ungodly leadership, there's there's hope for elders then. Christ came under authority. He He came to do the will of His Father. How many times did He say that? 
How many times do you say that? You know, I'm here on my own initiative. I've come here to do my own mission. Do you hear those words out of Jesus? Come here to do the will of my Father. But, he, but notice he came to earth as an ambassador. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father's love. He came to, he came to give to us salvation. He came reflecting uh, that, that wonderful uh, covenant from before the foundation of the world when God set his love upon his people. And that Jesus was slain, we're told, so to speak, before the foundation of the world. Like it was as good as done when he said his love that he was going to go to the cross. He's come to reveal the immensity of that salvation. He's an ambassador of heaven. He comes under authority, but he has real authority. That's the Son of God. An ambassador from heaven. But notice, he alone is the leader who is above reproach. He alone is the, is the leader that's above, above reproach. He came as a lamb without spot or without blemish. Now, did that keep people from bringing charges against him? Absolutely not. But that kangaroo court that you see at the end of the Gospels is no actual charge against the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trumped up charges. This is, this is deception. This is manipulation. This is injustice. Jesus was truly a man who was without uh, guile. He was faithful. He was true. He was tempted in every way as we are, yes, without sin. And why did he come? For the sake of his people. For the sake of his people. I want you to just imagine this for a minute. You're on the throne room of heaven. You've been there for all eternity. You are completely satisfied within yourself. And only because of your love has it driven you to the extent of sacrifice in life. On the earth, which is the case with Jesus, there was nothing that Jesus needed that caused him to come to the cross. He wasn't lacking. Meaning to say he's not getting something from you that he didn't already have. He's not benefiting in some way from you as if he was lacking. He came to serve out of love for you. And for the sake of you. And he was willing to let go of his own glories and humble himself even to the point of death in order to do so. He came for the sake of the church, you see. Now, if we serve under that leader, in that authority, we have hope, don't we? That even when the church goes wrong, and the church does go wrong, doesn't it? We, we see it. It's only every other day we hear some report uh, regarding it. That's not going to end. It's not going to end until Jesus comes back. As you pray and consider this local congregation, you can't pray often enough for the purity and the, and the sanctity and the protection and the holiness and the effectiveness of the ministry of this local congregation without lifting up its leaders. It's just the reality of it. How much damage, I saw this recently, how much damage is done to a local body when leaders lose their way? What injury is done to the flock? You know, that's the, that's the, it, it, it's, it's a horrendous story. And it's a story that's been told throughout, throughout history. It's being told in our, our own day and time. We, we need 
the Lord Jesus Christ through his fulfillment of godly leadership. We need the hearts of God's leaders so taken captive by Christ, sanctified, growing in holiness and in love for God's people that when you begin to meet with those elders, you say to yourself, I feel like, oh, praise be to God, I've met with Christ. He's at work through them. And even today, as we move through the office of installation, or as we install, I should say, officers today into the leadership core, let that be your prayer as we move through this series. One of them, there'll be others I'll give you, but one of them, that the Lord would show himself faithful in maintaining and caretaking the leadership of this local congregation and protect us from, from men who are described in Titus 1 as insubordinate and deceivers and empty talkers and full of corruption. And praise be to God, we have confidence that the bad news that often comes across the headlines about local churches is not going to be the final news about the church of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus comes back, the fullness of the glory of His church will be known and the faithfulness of our leader will be revealed. And everyone will say, there's the good shepherd. There's the good shepherd. We've been looking for Him a long time. He is here. Uh, Father in heaven, we pray that more of the recognition of the good shepherd would show up in the lives of the shepherds of this local congregation and in every uh, congregation. Uh, that you would reveal yourself um, more fully and, and completely in, in and through the work and, and efforts of, of your leaders. Lord, protect us from, from men who are pursuing shameful gain. That's the language of Titus 1. Men who are harboring um, unre in unrepentant sin. Uh, protect us from, from such men. Uh, Lord, protect um, the, the elders and deacons of this congregation from the wiles of the evil one. From the, from the temptations that... That, that come. Uh, Lord, we can't move towards the front lines of ministry and not expect the arrows of the evil one. Uh, Lord Jesus, you told us that those trials will come. Would you prepare us? Would you be our shield all about us? And, and Lord, would you give wisdom, give wisdom and insight, give a love for your word, give a prayerful and dependent spirit and would you give a readiness and an eagerness, as 1 Peter 5 described, to care for the flock of God whom Jesus has purchased with his own blood? Uh, Lord, inspire and encourage and sustain by the ministry of Christ given by the Spirit and by the example of Christ who did not hold back in his care for the flock. Would, Lord, it be true that the aroma of Jesus' ministry becomes more the aroma of this local congregation as the Lord and Savior Christ takes hold of our hearts together? Christ, we submit these things to you. Now, with by your grace, would you come and would you confirm these truths and guide our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.